This is Inspiring Design, where unique innovators come together to share their knowledge, share their insight, and keep us up to date with the latest industry trends. And here's your host, Rashan Senanayak. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Inspiring Design. This is where the best of the best brands, experts, change makers, and thought leaders come together to share their valuable insights, experience, and knowledge. Our goal here is to be the missing link between education, design, and the industry. So today is all about Autodesk and the AEC, the Australian Construction Industry. Autodesk has been kind enough to sponsor this episode, so make sure to tune in till the end and walk through all the amazing details we're going to go through. My, desk from, my guest today from Autodesk here is Adam Wansley. Adam is a civil infrastructure technical specialist for Autodesk, coming straight to you from Sydney, Australia. Adam's focus is on enabling industry to design, document, and construct civil infrastructure projects using improved connected workflows. His passion lies in computational design processes to help automate and improve design. Prior to joining, joining Autodesk in April 2019, Adam has worked over 12 years in the structural design and civil industry, holding lead engineering, digital engineering roles on challenging major projects in Australia. So he's the right man for the job, so let's get straight into it. Adam, mate, welcome to Inspiring Design. Hi, Rashan. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing well, man. I'm actually pretty keen to jump into Autodesk because it's, it's obviously some products that we've been using since day one at university, pretty much. So um, before we kick on to that, those details, can you tell us a little bit about your story? What's your background and your history? Yeah, sure. I mean, you did a pretty good job of uh, summarizing that there for me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I work with Autodesk. I've been with them for just over a year now. Mm-hmm. Um, I love what I do. I work in an amazing team. Um, I sit in our in our technical specialists team. So I sort of sit under the AEC umbrella and my main focus is on civil infrastructure type of uh, workflows and software. So uh, from an Autodesk perspective, we talk about civil 3D, um, InfraWorks, Revit to a certain extent, uh, and then some of our cloud products. So that's sort of my, my uh, strong suit. But yeah, a little bit about me. I've previously, before joining Autodesk, I worked for uh, a structural and civil engineering company here in Sydney. I really cut my teeth with um, Autodesk products and, uh, you know, worked on some major projects like Sydney Metro. That was one of the last ones I worked on. Awesome. Uh, and then another, another nice project, uh, which I learned a lot on, was the Woolgool Go to Ballina uh, project up in northern New South Wales. So... Uh, we delivered a lot of bridges on that project. Um, so, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Um, so then after, sorry, one more thing. After after leaving um, the structural design company, I went and joined uh, Fulton Hogan Construction and I worked on the Albion Park rail bypass project. Unfortunately for that, I was only at uh, Fulton Hogan for seven months um, and Autodesk had approached me um, halfway through that time and said, hey, there's an opening in our technical team. Uh, why don't you come come and join us? Yeah. And I would have loved to have stayed at uh, Fulton Hogan for uh, a good few years because the construction side of things was really interesting. And um, yeah, just as just as the project was ramping up, I was spending more time out on site, 
uh, and I was going to, yeah, it was going to be really exciting. But, you know, I think when uh, Autodesk comes knocking, you've got to take the opportunity when it presents itself. That's awesome. So you actually literally got headhunted by Autodesk. <laughs> uh, yeah, sort of. So a colleague, <laughs> uh, now colleague, um, yeah, he, he, he reached out to me and um, he put my name forward. He got a nice finder's fee for that and I'm still <laughs> waiting for him to take me out for dinner. There you go. There you go. You should follow up on that after this call. <laughs> You've just given him a shout out as well. So awesome. Man. Well, let's get straight into it. Um, I know a lot of the listeners, given that they're you know, educators, designers, and even students using your products, um, we would know Autodesk. People know Autodesk because you guys are everywhere. But um, in, your, uh, in your words, who is Autodesk? Yeah, so uh, Autodesk is a, a US company. I think most people would probably be aware of that. Um, I guess in a nutshell, we make software for people who um, make things across a range of different industries. So uh, for those that might only be familiar with the you know, AEC industry, we also uh, make software for manufacturing. Uh, we make software for construction and also media and entertainment, which is um, pretty interesting. So something that you guys might not know about Autodesk is that we have uh, research uh, hubs around the world and it's, it's essentially a place where teams or businesses, businesses can come as residents um, and they can research and develop uh, focusing on emerging, emerging technologies, which I think is really exciting. So we've got a hub in uh, Boston, we've got Toronto, we've also got a hub in San Francisco and Birmingham in the UK. Um, and if you guys have never been to uh, San Francisco or if you have the opportunity to go, I highly recommend checking out um, the, the Autodesk office over there. So we have the P9 um, research uh, facility and you, can, you might be able to get the tour. Uh, but it's, it's really cool to walk through there because you see uh, what people are developing and, and what people are trying to um, investigate, I suppose, to, to really change the way that our industry works. Yeah. Um, and then we've also got the gallery in San Francisco, which is worth, worth looking at. It's, um, I mean, it's really hard to explain in words, but uh, if people wanted to Google it, there's some really awesome pictures, but it's kind of a, uh, a good example of what Autodesk does across all of the industries. Uh, so there's, you know, like a 3d printed, um, replica bridge there. There's, uh, yeah, there's tons of awesome stuff. Uh, I could spend yeah I could spend days days in that place. It's awesome. <laughs> well, look, I think I think most of us using Autodesk products would would have that inclination if we go into San Francisco. It's on my bucket list now. So, absolutely, that's that's awesome. So, that's that's pretty good to understand. And and I I don't think um it, it, the research hubs is something that a lot of people are being aware of. So I'm glad that you shared that. So let's go on to the Autodesk products. Now, what do you guys offer now? You, you've mentioned a whole bunch of different industries that you guys are in, you know, even entertainment, the AEC, infrastructure, civil, there's a whole array of things. So just so the listeners have a very clear understanding of your products and services, how do they, how do they service and make those designers and, and, the, and the employers' lives better? Yeah, sure. So... Uh, I guess at this point in time, there's about 140 different products that Autodesk wow. um, have. So, I mean, we're not going to be able to cover all of them, <laughs> uh, but maybe just to give the listeners a bit of a, a bit of a deeper understanding, we we tend to break up um, the the software into three main segments or collections. So, we have the product design and manufacturing collection, 
Uh, we've got the media and entertainment collection, and then we have the AEC collection. So, you know, I focus on the AEC collection. I'm, I don't, I can name some products in the other collections, but, you know, I'm definitely no expert on that. Uh, so if guys are using products like Inventor um, or Fusion 360, you can, yeah. you can access that in the uh, product design and manufacturing collection. And then if people are in the media and entertainment industry, uh, they might be using something like Maya, um, 3ds Max, or, or Arnold, or Shotgun. Um, but I suppose, yeah, in the AEC collection, that's really my my sweet spot. You have things like AutoCAD, which everybody knows about, Civil 3D, Revit, uh, Plant 3D. You've also got things like Advanced Steel, Navisworks, um, 3ds Max, again as well to do some renderings. And I guess you know from a um, from the collection standpoint, all of those tools in there work together to really uh, enable projects to be designed and delivered um, and constructed, I guess, more efficiently than, than uh, what, is, what, what would be possible without those, those uh, collection of tools. Yeah, yeah. No, that's pretty cool. And, and um, I think given my background in architecture, the things that I've come across a lot is, is Revit and Navisworks. Um, I used to do BIM research at one of the universities and Navisworks was one of those softwares that kept coming up. This is, this is a good 10 years ago. So mm. we'll get on to BIM in a little bit, but um, can you expand a little bit more specifically, given that the listeners are more um, inclined to the AEC software packages and, and uh, you being the right man for the job, um, can you outline what Revit is about, what, um, what's plans about, what's 3ds Max or, and all of those elements within the AEC package? Yeah, for sure. So I think uh, the the easiest way to explain this might be through a story, I guess. And uh, if we can, you know, think about how a, a an entire building project would would come about. So you know, you've obviously got architects, you've got civil engineers, you've got structural engineers. Uh, you'll even have a BIM manager on on a lot of projects these days. So I've kind of explained it in that ecosystem, and I think that might help the listeners. Uh, get a bit of an a, a bit of an understanding of that. So, you know, if an if a building project is initially going to kick off, an architect would probably use Revit. Uh, they would also use Dynamo, which is kind of a it's it's one of my favorite little pieces of software. It's a, a computational design um, software. They also might use some generative design stuff. Mm -hmm. And the idea with that is that they might do some feasibility studies or they might look at the overall site from a sustainability aspect. Uh, and from there, they will develop their concept design. They would then uh, use something like 3ds Max to do high-end renders and animations mm -hmm. where they could then take that, those proposed designs to you know, external stakeholders or clients to sort of convey the design intent for this particular project. Yeah. And then, um, you know, after, all those approvals happen and, and uh, that, that concept phase is moved into the construction documentation phase. Revit will then be again used to sort of complete the BIM model as well as all of the documentation that would be required from an architect to uh, essentially, you know, design the, the entire building. From uh, a civil engineering aspect, starting in a concept phase, a, pro a product like InfraWorks, which is, uh, and another awesome 3D sort of interactive modeling and analysis tool would be used to develop, uh, you know, the land development or some, some early road design 
they can also you can also be used for drainage, mm -hmm. and then it can also pull in GIS data. So uh, if if any people are also using um, Esri's ArcGIS platform, InfraWorks has a really good uh, connector to to that. Mm -hmm. The civil civil engineers would also use Civil 3D um, to then progress the design past concept into detailed design, sort of getting everything ready for um, as constructed doc. Sorry, not as constructed, but for construction documentation. Mm -hmm. uh, they would use another pro product like vehicle tracking to design car parks um, and roundabouts. But Civil 3D tends to be that real workhorse um, design package that would take uh, a civil project from yeah, concept through to, to construction. Yeah. Then uh, I suppose structural engineers will, will come in into the mix as well. And they would use Revit to develop their uh, 3D structural model or their BIM model, um, if you want to call it that. They would then also rely on robot structural analysis to do any structural design of the proposed building. And then Revit will be again used to uh, develop the documentation um, and details and things like that that could be then passed on to the steel fabricator or the shop detailer um, where they might use something like advanced steel to sort of take a, it, let's say if, if there's some steel framing on a particular project, they will then take that Revit model, use it with advanced steel um, and then develop the shop drawings or the fabrication drawings that would, that would then progress onto site. Yeah, uh, and I think sort of to round that the whole process out, you'd have a BIM manager. Uh, I think a lot of projects these days have BIM managers on them, especially uh, you know government-led infrastructure type projects. And the BIM manager would rely on products like Navisworks uh, to federate all the models together. So taking all of those different disciplines' models, um, combining them to one, they'll do things like clash detection to make sure that the you know there's no there's no, there's no clashes or they find clashes digitally before they go out to site, which is going to reduce costs and uh, have some savings. Uh, and that, I guess that's the whole BIM process in a nutshell, but we'll, I think we'll get onto that. Yeah. Uh, they'll also, you know, check the validity of the models. They'll do audits on them and things like that. Uh, and then I guess something I didn't sort of mention, but, you know, we have Autodesk has our cloud products, so BIM 360, mm -hmm. um, and that can kind of underpin everything that I've been talking about. So Revit models can live and, and be stored in BIM 360. The BIM managers can access those models and you do clash coordination in the cloud. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a whole sort of project ecosystem that can be executed with, with Autodesk products in that AEC collection. Yeah, that, look, and, and that's incredible. Like the level of complexity that comes with the Autodesk products and how you guys have simplified it down so that literally first year, second year students can actually start to use it. I think that's so powerful. Now, one of the things that I've learned is that BIM modeling is actually called 12 dimension modeling, right? So this is a question that I get asked all the time. So straight from, straight from you, what, how many dimensions are there possible within BIM? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think, you know, there's people out there that have, dedicated their lives to BIM and everything that that encompasses. Yeah. And I've certainly been in some conversations uh, or in the same room as some of these people and they are, you know, they are definitely experts in that field. I think from my perspective, the, 
the 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 best I guess the best bits about BIM, if I can talk about that. Yeah, um, absolutely. Is information. I think that is the most important thing. So, um, you know, you're talking about the different dimensions and you know, everyone's, everyone will have a different opinion, I think, on, on, on what BIM is and how it can be executed. And certainly as, pro, as when you have different projects, the, the amount of, um, I guess, information required would, would differs from the, the complexity of a project. So in my opinion, information is the, is, is the important part of BIM. So, um, you know, BIM, if people don't know what it stands for, Building Information Modeling, some people also refer to it as building information management. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I is the key there, the, the information perspective. Uh, and I guess a lot of people also get a little bit maybe confused when they hear the word building. They think it's only relative to vertical buildings. Mm-hmm. However, it's definitely not just limited to vertical buildings. You also have that, those, those horizontal um, linear infrastructure type projects. Yeah. But um, yeah, coming back to my opinion on BIM, I think information is the important part. So we're now working in this world where data is key. Um, we're not just, you know, uh, creating 2D drawings of designs anymore. We are building these robust 3D models and inputting all of this rich information that is captured from a concept phase all the way through to construction and even into operations and maintenance. Yeah. So for me uh yeah information in bim is is the most important thing and then being able to leverage that information yeah. uh being able to to get insights out of the the information that models contain um and then use that for you know uh estimating and and clash detection and you know the ongoing maintenance of a of a of a, of a project once it's operational yeah yeah and i actually was speaking to one of the auditor specialists at um at a tech conference here a few years ago, and um, I actually asked him, you know, how much how much knowledge do you think you have when it comes to the Autodesk products? And and he's like, mate, no one in the world will ever know what we can do with this. It's just so much and constantly evolving. Well, I actually want to throw that same question at you. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think do you think that you anyone in this world will ever know everything to do with Autodesk, even in a particular software? There's some people that come close. Yep. For sure. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not one of them. Uh, but I get a lot of inspiration from um, seeing what people come up with, yep. seeing unique ways of working with our software. Um, I think for me, yeah, being a long time Autodesk user. So I started using AutoCAD way back in the day and I was really fascinated with what that could do. And then that sort of transitioned into Revit and being able to model buildings inside of Revit. Then I progressed into modeling bridges and some more complicated geometries. Um, and then, you know, that opens up the door for, for something like Dynamo, which is around computational design. And that's where you can really start to make the software do things that it wasn't built to do. Yeah. And I mean, my LinkedIn feed just constantly, uh, impresses me with the, some of the work that people out there do mm-hmm. uh, with products like Revit and Dynamo uh, or even Civil 3D and Dynamo and things like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I particularly enjoy going to uh, whether it's Autodesk University or different uh, conferences out there and just hearing what the users are, u- are using our software for. 
yeah. um, to me, that's super inspirational. That's the beautiful part. I think when, when, you know, designers are using such a complex tool that can evolve, you can almost push the boundaries and it's up to the user how they use the tool. So I love that. And so one of the things that I want to talk about is, um, is this new, relatively new phenomenon called generative design. I think it's, it's new within, within the everyday society, but it might not be new from your point of view. Um, going back a few episodes, one of the engineers, Alex, he spoke about generative design being the next thing that architects, designers, and, and engineers need to be part of um, if they want to keep up with the curve. It's almost like transitioning from you know, the old T-square and, and the set squares onto AutoCAD and then onto BIM modeling. And they're looking, everyone's looking towards generative design. So before we get onto the complex details, what is generative design in your point of view? Okay. So generative design is essentially creating a design or, or having the intention to create something yeah. and being able to um, set a series of inputs, set a series of constraints on the particular design, and then letting the computer iterate through those those design options for you to come up with unique designs or unique um, options that you might not have thought about. Yeah. Um, so I guess to kind of put that into some practical sense, I have seen some people that are using generative design to work out or to, yeah, to lay out the nursing stations in a hospital, for example. Okay. So they're designing a hospital floor. Mm -hmm. They want to know how many nursing stations they should have and where should they be. Yeah. And the constraints that they, or, or what they were trying to optimize is, you know, the amount of distance a nurse will travel over a 12 hour shift. So if they can minimize that, yeah. they will put, uh, you know, the, the nursing stations in, in unique places that might not, you know, that, that might be different to what a human would sort of think is best practice. Yeah. Uh, I guess I've also seen uh, office layouts getting designed uh, or, or getting developed with generative design to optimize, you know, the views to windows, lighting, acoustics, um, even, yeah, same thing, distances to kitchens and amenities. Yeah. Um, and then I guess, you know, in this kind of post-COVID world, I'm also reading about how, people are investigating the use of generative design to optimize office layouts. So, you know, they're incorporating um, the social distancing, you know, one and a half meter spacings, laying out offices to be the most effective to adhere to those rules. And then even letting the computer come up with unique sort of egress paths around a building to minimize uh, the people walking past each other in a, in a hallway. So everyone's kind of on that same route around an office to go to the bathroom, to go to the kitchen. Yeah. Um, really interesting ways of working. Yeah. I think as well from a generative design perspective, uh, they have been using it in manufacturing for, for a little while now. Uh, and if anyone wants to see some awesome stuff, um, you could Google the Autodesk chair. Mm -hmm. uh, they, that, that's, they, they leverage generative design to sort of optimize what a chair could look like, um, minimizing the amount of material, but maximizing the strength. Uh, another personal favorite for mine is the skateboard truck. So I used to skate when I was a kid. Um, I still think I can skate, but my body probably says otherwise. But the idea is that they've taken a traditional 
the, the traditional way a, a skateboard truck is developed and by applying generative design to it, you can optimize or you can minimize the amount of material or steel that's needed to go into that truck while maintaining the same amount of strength. So the truck becomes lighter, it becomes more cost effective. And then I guess with, you know, emerging technologies such as 3D printing, you can then manufacture something that is quite unique in its, uh, in its shape. Yeah. Um, I mentioned the gallery in, um, or Pier 9 in San Francisco. Yeah, if, if people get the opportunity to go there, there's plenty of examples of, of generative design being applied to manufacturing. And that's sort of where, I guess, um, yeah, Autodesk is heading is this convergence between design and, and manufacturing. So I think from a, an architectural or an AEC perspective, we're only really just starting to scratch the surface of what is possible with generative design. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, we have... If, if you think about what a steel framed building looks like now with, you know, big eye beams everywhere. I mean, I, I like to think that in the future, if we were able to 3d print uh, big steel girders um, efficiently and optimize the amount of material that they need um, as opposed to being one big eye beam, you could imagine that, you know, applying generative design processes to it you could have some really interesting shapes um, of of steelwork that you know it's it's still serving its purpose of being structurally adequate for its design but it's it would look quite different to the way we see things now yeah no i think look that it makes sense that everyone is um is looking forward to that and it's it's looking like it's the next almost the next big thing um i think when it comes to designers using generative design, it's a whole different mindset or, and an approach to design. I think that's what's um, almost worrying people because they're, you know, they're not sure what that's going to look like. And um, what do you think are the key skill sets that designers should look for when they're thinking of heading down the pathway of generative design? It's a really good question. And this is something that I have thought about a lot. So in my experience, uh, yeah, I started using Revit and then I explored Dynamo. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I've said it's a computational program that, that complements the use of Revit. Generative design for Revit is, is sort of the next iteration of Dynamo. So to be able to effectively build your own generative design scripts and processes, you need to have a really good Um, fundamental understanding of what Dynamo is, what computational design is, Uh, you know, Python or other coding languages definitely wouldn't hurt in that regard. Uh, I'm not a coder. um, And I had a couple of years ago, I made a news resolution to um, learn Python. I even bought and downloaded a uh, course, but I, I never even got the chance to take it just because you know, work and family gets in the way. Um, But yeah, I think that's really important. So for for anyone out there, you know, students that are kind of interested in this and want to know how they can achieve some of these, you know, future ways of thinking and working. Mm. I think programming coding is key. Um, And then, you know, if you want to get into the generative design stuff through Revit, then Dynamo is is something that you you definitely need to, to grasp. Um, and then move into move into it that way. Yeah, I think that's powerful advice, mate. Because it's the same um, mentality that Alex mentioned a few episodes ago, where he was he was he had literally broken apart an Amazon Alexa 
um, taken the AI system that was speech, speech to text and short coded that to connect with his Python software. So he could literally tell his computer what to do. And so he's obviously next level, a bit Tony Stark, Iron Man type thing. <laughs> um, but that's brilliant. And I think that's very valuable advice. Learning coding is one of the, one of the most important skill sets, I think. Um, and, and it's not somewhat something that's in the eyes of designers when you're thinking, you know, as a designer myself, I don't think I would have looked at learning coding. But it's realizing, I'm realizing that more and more depends, especially if you're within the, you know, manufacturing and AEC. So great advice, mate. So you've mentioned that, you know, Autodesk is looking at these steps in the next iteration, which takes me to my next question. What's in store for the future of Autodesk? Yeah. So just before I answer that, can I just um, add something to the last piece of conversation? So um, one thing that we are seeing a lot in industry, and this is probably worth mentioning for, for the students out there, is that, you know, traditionally architects will hire architects and engineers mm -hmm. will hire engineers. What we're starting to see now is that some architecture um, organizations are hiring uh, students with computer science backgrounds or computer science skill sets yeah. because they realize that, yeah, this, this programmatic way of working and thinking is going to change the industry completely. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And, and that's a, that's a, an interesting trend that we, we definitely seeing um, across, uh, across the, the industry. And when you can tie team up a, an experienced architect with a young grad who's, who's got some great um, program programming skills together, they can just do some fantastic work. Yeah. Um, so yeah, really interesting. Um, but I mean, in terms of what's coming to the future uh, or what's coming with the future for Autodesk, mm -hmm. I did mention the convergence of design and manufacturing. Uh, so that's taking essentially uh, a pre a prefabrication type of mindset to, to construction projects. Um, you know, building things once in a factory, then assembling it out on site, really being able to reduce waste, um, reduce time constraints. And essentially, you know, you look at some of the, st the statistics around construction and 30% of a construction project uh, can go to waste, more or less. So, you know, Autodesk is thinking about how we can start to change that, um, being more sustainable with the products that we use, things like that. Uh, I guess on that same um, that same thought process, introducing things like 3D printing, um, also the use of robots, uh, things like that. There's, there's a couple of awesome examples um, that people should uh, look into if they haven't heard about it, but the, uh, there's a bridge called the, a project called the MX3D Bridge. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've, have you heard about that, Rashawn? No, I actually haven't. So this, um, my, I'm just waiting to hear about it. Yeah, cool. So I, I mean, because I've got, you know, I've, I, I, my passion is, I guess, bridges. So it's, it's high on my um, interest list. But yeah, so Autodesk teamed up with uh, a few other organisations to see what would be possible with the use of 3D printing robots. So the idea is that they have 3D printed a steel bridge mm -hmm. uh, that is going to sit over a canal in Amsterdam. Um, and yeah, so they're using, you know, emerging technology to be able to design and then put together this, this steel bridge through, through additive manufacturing processes. 
but then they're also going to layer the bridge with different sensors so they can start to collect data in real time about the loading of the bridge or the health of the bridge. Um, it's a really, really forward thinking sort of approach, wow. uh, but, but, but really interesting to see um, what comes with that in the future. Yeah, no, like absolutely. I want to check that out straight away. I think jump onto Google, guys, and uh, it's the MX Bridge, isn't it? MX 3D. I think we, yeah, we'll put. I'll put some links and stuff in the show notes at the end of this. Perfect, guys. So jump onto the show notes and have a look at that because uh, it's something that's obviously very forward thinking. And Adam, appreciate you sharing that, mate. So that's that's amazing. So a lot lot of things to look forward to, and and I think it's going to scare the hell out of a lot of people because. It's, it's a completely no, it's, unknown it's going, to ins- it's going to inspire them. It's going to inspire them. I love it. I love it. I love it. There you go. Perfect, guys. So you're going to get inspired by exactly what's going to be happening in the future. So what do you think right now? What can professionals who are in the industry using these, these products day in day, what can they do right now to stay up to date? So I would encourage professionals to attend an Autodesk University conference. Love it. <laughs> uh, so I, I was fortunate enough to attend one uh, before I joined Autodesk. I was a, an Autodesk customer and that was just next level. I mean, it's, they get about 10,000 people uh, in. So they've been in Vegas previously, but this year it's all going to be digital. It's all going to be online because okay. of, you know, global travel restrictions. Yep. So I think that's going to give a lot more accessibility to the, to the wider world. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely check out Autodesk University, but yeah, being, being in, in, at Autodesk University in person is awesome. Uh, I've been twice now and it's just, you just get so inspired after walking around the, the halls for, for four days or something like that. Uh, they, people can jump on LinkedIn. Um, I'm not saying follow me, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm always sharing interesting articles and posts that I, I come across. Yep. Uh, if, if anyone is really interested in, what Autodesk is doing in terms of pushing the boundaries of generative design and uh, using emerging technologies. There's a guy out there. Uh, he has the same last name as me. His name's Keen Wormsley, K-E-A-N Wormsley. Yep. Um, and he's got a blog called Through the Interface. Mm-hmm. So he works in our research team at Autodesk and he's got the coolest job in the world. He's basically tasked to just, you know, research stuff and 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 experiment i guess yeah uh, he does he does some really interesting stuff around generative design uh also using sensor data sensor data inside of buildings for the mm-hmm. aec industry uh and there's also a video out on the web where he uh that mx3d bridge that i was talking about he uh was using um autodesk cloud platform called forge um, and they were we were able to see in real time um, people walking across the bridge in this inside of the 3d model on an ipad yeah. um it's a pretty great video you see you can hear how excited he gets when when you can see the uh the humans walking across the steel bridge but yeah, yeah keen he's he's awesome he's got a really good uh mindset and uh yeah he does some awesome work and i think once you start following people like that on linkedin or twitter mm-hmm. your feed pretty quickly fills up with other um people that you should you know, follow and pages that you should, you should keep, keep tuned into. So uh, yeah, that's, that's some of my advice there for professionals. I think that's valuable, man. Like, because at the end of the day, we're all going to be learning from each other and, and that's when the knowledge becomes more rich. So perfect advice, mate. 
And mm -hmm. what about the students and graduates? They're the, they're the future users of your product and they're the ones who are going to be in the industry in the next five, 10 years. Um, what's your advice for them? Because one of the biggest issues is their alignment of the industry with, with the education sector right now, simply because things are evolving way too quickly. So mm -hmm. what's your advice for them? How can they stay up to date? So for those that don't know, Autodesk has got an education website. So we give, we give out free software to students yep. and uh, yeah. So if you, if anyone wants to, to Google um, Autodesk education, there's a, there's a whole website there. Um, again, I'll have it in the show notes. Um, and we've also got the design Academy so people can download um, educational resources and sort of start to learn about how Autodesk products can be applied to solving different design challenges. Yep. Uh, so that's that's one way that students and graduates can keep up with things. Um, I suppose when talking about going into the workforce and the way things are, I guess, different, um, just be curious and don't follow the status quo. Mm -hmm. Is my my opinion. I think um, the I think the the workforce is very ingrained in the way that they traditionally work on projects. Uh, so when grads come out with some fantastic ideas, um, I would highly encourage them to pursue it and yeah, don't follow the status quo. Just come up with, recommend new ways of working because that's, what's going to change the industry. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, it is, it is quite easy to follow, you know, what your, your managers or what other people in your organization are doing and have been doing for the last 10 or 15 years. But uh, yeah, disrupt stuff. That's my that's that's my advice. Uh, you know, find different uh, working groups or you know LinkedIn groups or Twitter groups that have people um, participating in them that have that share your same passion and your same um, approach to to the industry. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, there's some, there's some good communities out there. I mean, for example, if people were interested in Dynamo, there's a really good online community um, on the Dynamo forums. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's how I learned, learned how to use those computational processes is through, you know, reading posts on the, the blogs, oh, sorry, on the forums, people post up scripts that are broken and someone fixes it for them. Uh, you know, people are on these platforms encouraging each other to push the software harder than it should be worked essentially. Um, yeah. And that's all progressing to, to coming up with new and great ways of working. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's some of my advice for, for students out there. But yeah, I think that the underlying fact is just be curious and, and challenge the status quo. Be curious, challenge the status quo guys. There you go. That's perfect, man. Adam, mate, it's been a lot of learning today, a lot of information downloaded. So Amazing work and thank you so much for giving up your time. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. Guys, that's, a, that's been a true lesson in innovation for the future of the Australian construction industry. So that's it for today. Now it's time to jump on to rashansemanayaka.com forward slash podcast and click on Adam's face to check out the show notes from today's episode. Go on and check out every one of those different links that we provided so that you can gain the most out of these things. You know, check out the Academy if you're a student. Go and check out the MX3D Bridge. Talk to connect, connect with people in these groups. Go and connect and do more. And last but not least, connect with Adam on LinkedIn. Follow the amazing work he's doing and make Autodesk your Bible.
So last but not least, click that subscribe button and share your love. And if a review is up for it, you can go for that as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback on today's topic. Get involved in the conversation. Till next time.